Jesus and the disciples were up north in the region of Galilee, which they spent a lot of time there. there were, the people there were much more receptive to Jesus' teachings, to his ministry. He always faced a lot of opposition down in Jerusalem. But Lazarus became ill, and it was appearing or apparent that he would probably not make it. He would not survive. And so Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to ask him to come because they'd seen him heal people many times. And they were hoping and praying that he would come and heal Lazarus. As the story goes, Jesus deliberately delayed his departure from Galilee in order to get down to Bethany where Lazarus was. And there was a, there was a purpose behind it to fully show the glory of God by raising Lazarus from the dead. So when they finally got there, Lazarus had already passed. <clears throat> Verse 20, John chapter 11. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And that's what Martha thought Jesus was telling her. Don't worry, Martha, you'll see him again one day. He will be resurrected on that day when all believers are resurrected. But Jesus, of course, was speaking of something more immediate. But the important thing that he tells her here in verse 25 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Powerful pronouncement of faith by Martha but an even more powerful pronouncement by Jesus. Though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus backed it up by, as you know, raising Lazarus from the dead. And that was a powerful example of what all believers can look forward to. There was a tremendous upsurge and Jesus' popularity and people believing in him after that, that ultimate demonstration of his power and his authority over life and death. And so we find these scriptures to be extremely encouraging regarding the passing of any loved one, but in this case, especially our sister in the Lord, Pat. And she um, went through a pretty long period of physical infirmity Towards the end of her life, we know that she had waited several years for a kidney transplant. We, many of us prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally that came through. But ultimately, um, her health would not sustain, and she went to be with Jesus. And we love her. Amen. And we honor her here this morning. I'm going to take just a few moments. If anybody would like to come, I'm going to grab my mic over here and hand it to you. If anybody would like to come and share just a few words about their remembrances of Pat or how Pat might have impacted your life. So, but we don't have time to hesitate. He or she who hesitates is lost. <laughs> Anyone? Or are you too scared to get up in front of all these people? Here comes Lynn. Yeah, you do. Good. Talk, cl talk close. Okay. I don't know if all of you know me. My name is Lynn Kramer. I've been coming here for about five years now. And from day one, you could count on Pat to show love, grace, the biggest smile. And if you met Pat, you knew this was home. Hmm. Thank you.
Thank you very much. I don't know. The Holy Spirit told me Roland had something to say. Yeah, I almost, I almost called on you, but I, I just confirmation. All right, uh, you all know me, and uh, Pat, she was just something special. I'd walk in the door, and the very first thing I'd tell her is, give me some. And she'd just give me the biggest hug you could ever imagine. I just love that smile. And as everyone is going to probably say, she was just a, a loving and kind woman, and I surely am going to miss her. I'm going to miss those. Give me some. So we'll t I'll talk to you at the, at the end of the service. And just as a reminder, I think Ed will probably mention this, but we are, are having a reception afterwards. Hopefully some people brought food. Otherwise, it'll be donuts and coffee, but we're going to have a reception afterwards. One more. Reiner. I just want to... It's... It's a pleasure always to, the memory of Pat in me is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful spirit. A beautiful, beautiful spirit, always with a smile. And even when she was suffering, you could see that spirit in her eyes. And so I honor her and I will, I will be able to see her soon. In God's timing. <laughs> I'm constantly reminding myself that every day is a gift from God, every breath we take, and our lives are totally in His hands. It's totally up to Him how long we're going to be here, right? And when He's finished with us, we're going to go see Pat. Ed, I think we're going to skip the announcements. So, but uh, let's turn the lights on. I did at least want to acknowledge if we have any visitors today. Is there anybody? We need more light. There's not all the lights aren't on. I don't know. We're falling apart around here, folks. Literally falling apart. I, I ran out of water, but Kim very graciously brought me more water. You want it now? Yeah. Might be easier. Okay. Get my earpiece on. Anybody visiting for the first time, we'd like to welcome you. Anyone? Back there in the back row, we have a couple of folks. Welcome. Thank you for coming. <clears throat> Glad you could join us today. We hope and pray that you are blessed as you fellowship with us today. Study the Word of God with us. Don't forget if you have a prayer request or a praise report, put it in one of the boxes. There's a little slip there you can fill out. We love getting prayer requests and we love getting praise reports. So take, take a moment to do that. I know sometimes people will come up to me and mention something they need prayer for, but then they don't write it out and put it in the box. It's important to do that so we can get that prayer request out to as many people as possible. And if you find that you are not receiving communications from us, we may not have your current information. So there is a card. It's combination visitor's card, but it's also for updating addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, and that sort of thing. So if you feel like you need to update, fill out one of those cards and drop it in as well. And uh, we did have one copy of Evangelical left, but I think it's gone now. It was the one that was on my podium. I put it on the table and now it's gone, so that's good. Um, if anyone is disappointed that they did not get a copy, then let me know and we'll order some more. <clears throat> I 
I don't know if I have time for this, but I've been putting off. I've got a whole backlog of news stuff. And uh, I feel like it's going to be outdated if I don't bring it out soon. And some of it's pretty shocking. And again, I will reiterate, when people complain that the pastor talks too much about politics, it's not about politics. It's about spiritual warfare. It's about good versus evil. It's about wrong versus right. And see, that, that's a very Greek mentality where we try to compartmentalize things and separate things when everything in God's universe is interconnected. And a while back, and I know this might not have been popular with everyone, but I mentioned that I had some concerns about the TV series The Chosen. I know it's just a worldwide phenomenon and all that. Super popular Christian TV show defends gay pride flag on set. Guess whose set that was? Chosen. And they defended it. So you can continue to watch it if you choose to do so, but I, I think there's problems there. This is another shocker. A drag queen is currently number one on iTunes Christian album chart. This guy was a worship leader. I wish I could show you the picture. Probably wouldn't be able to see it. Maybe. Can you see that? This guy was a worship leader for like 10 years, 20 years. And then during the pandemic, he was at home getting really bored. So he started experimenting with women's clothes and makeup. He calls himself <laughs> Flamey Grant. Flamey. How many of you know about Amy Grant? He calls himself Flamey Grant. And so he, uh, he launched this uh, campaign to get as many people as possible to vote for his song on iTunes and he wound up number one on the Christian chart. Pretty crazy. I might have lost my place now with these. Let's see if I can get them back. Here we go. I think it's important that we know what's going on in our, in our culture, in our society, where things are going. The new director of the Centers for D Disease Control has proclaimed that much like the current, oh, she's going to recommend annual COVID shots, much like the current annual flu shots, said Dr. Mandy Cohen. And so even though there's tons of evidence that the COVID shots are not safe, they're now recommending an annual COVID shot. There's so many. Probably don't have time for all of them, but in, in conjunction with that, this report, 20 million people killed globally by COVID vaccines not by COVID, by the vaccine. And 2.2 billion, that's almost a third of the planet, folks. There's about seven and a half to eight billion people on the planet right now. 2.2 billion is a large number. Seriously hurt. I don't know how many of you remember back when the pandemic started, I was warning you guys. I was going against everything that was in the public narrative. The evidence is in now. German MEP, that's one of the government officials in Germany, Christian, Christine Anderson, COVID pandemic was beta test 
for globalist totalitarianism. Complete control. That's a German government official. And then finally, and again, if you took the shot, I'm not judging you. I love you. I'm praying that you have no negative side effects from it. Maybe you already have. I don't know. I just think it's important for you to know the real story, what's really going on. And trust God. And the 16th chapter of Mark, at the end there, it says that believers, one, shall drink any deadly poison, it shall not harm them. Nobody, I'm sure, willingly would have taken that inoculation if they knew what it really had in it and what it was going to do to you, right? You did it because you were told it was the right thing to do. You were told it would be good for you. So God's not going to punish you for that. In fact, we can trust him and believe that he will protect you. The same goes for those who were not vaccinated. It should have come down to personal choice. Do you have the faith to be vaccinated or do you have the faith to not be vaccinated? The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So we, as we go through life, we ask God's Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to impart faith to us, to make good choices, to make good decisions. In this case, many people weren't given that opportunity. They were forced by their employer. Many, paces, and many times, state, local, federal government, the military, people were forced to do it whether they wanted to or not. That's not really what this nation is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be about freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of choice. Of course, then they'll turn around and use that on us to say freedom of choice for a woman to abort her unborn baby, right? So in men's prayer, we were talking about that. I can't remember that lady, what state, she was an attorney general, I think, from one of the states, and they were talking about, is it okay for a woman to abort her baby right up until the moment of birth? And she said, absolutely. Do you remember who that was, Roland? I mean, they asked her a series of questions, and all of her answers were just horrific. And so then I had this thought, well... If a woman has the right to kill their baby up until the moment of birth, what if she doesn't like her husband? Can she kill him too? What's the difference? Right? Anyway. Okay. Just keep your eyes open. As I said last week, keep your nose in the book. Stay on your knees, either literally or metaphorically, in prayer. There's a lot to pray about these days, isn't there? All right, let's see if we can possibly, I don't know if we can make it. We'll try to get through this next section of John chapter 3. John 3, 17 through 21. Let me read those verses. You can read along with me in your Bible or on the screen. We know that the, the, the pre previous verse was the famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's speaking, of course, with the Pharisee, the Jewish elder, Nicodemus. And he goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who comes to the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Pray that we'll be able to cover this passage, at least to the extent that you would have us to do so today. Ask your blessings upon this time of study in your word. We ask that you would cause your Holy Spirit to teach us, to feed us, to lead us into all truth, even as you said that he would. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start here in verse 17, Jesus having 
told Nicodemus, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, and so forth, because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And there's a pattern throughout human history. God always extends mercy to everyone before he exacts judgment. There's always that opportunity given to turn to him, to heed his warnings, to listen to him. And so Jesus' first coming was that opportunity for people to meet God, come to, into relationship with God. Jesus didn't come the first time to judge this world. He came to save it. And instead, he allowed them to unfairly and unjustly judge him. On our behalf, he was judged for our sins. But James 2.13 says, Judgment uh, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. God would always prefer to forgive you and to save you rather than to judge you. But judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And if someone has no mercy, there's a, that's a good indication that they do not know God. They have no relationship with God. Because if they did, they would certainly extend the mercy to others that he's extended to them. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation. I love this, this section of Romans. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you as a, a believer are ever feeling condemned, beaten up, it's not God. It's the devil. He's the one who condemns. No, no, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit will bring us under conviction for our sins, right? He will make us aware. Wait a minute. You shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You need to repent. Okay, Lord, I'll repent. See, conviction brings with it hopefulness. Condemnation brings with it hopelessness. So it's really easy to recognize if you're feeling condemned, are you blown it now? There's no hope for you. Even though you've received Christ, you're going to go to hell. Boy, is that a lie from the pit of hell, from the devil, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So if we find ourselves kind of slipping and beginning to walk in the flesh, yeah, you're going to be vulnerable to that attack of the enemy where he's going to try to bring you under condemnation. You need to get back in the Spirit. Get right with God. Confess your sins. Repent. And ask the Lord to help you get back on the right path. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. The Old Testament law which nobody can keep. In order to be saved under the law you would have to be perfect and that's impossible. No human being can be perfect. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. But now when Christ returns... He will condemn all those who rejected him in this life. God did not send his son into the world the first time to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. However, when he returns, it's a whole different story. Revelation 20, 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, where the believers' names are written. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. There was a great white throne judgment coming at the end of the millennium. But in the meantime, we talked last week about Hades, Abraham's bosom, all that. So prior to the great white throne judgment, there's kind of a preliminary judgment. Matthew 28 talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats at the second coming. Those alive on the earth at the end of the tribulation will be separated into two groups, the believers and the non-believers, the goats. They will be cast out. So it's important to plug into God 
now, because we are now in the age of grace, in the age of mercy, when Christ comes back, if you've not already made your decision for Christ, it'll be too late. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus' first coming was all about extending God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to all humanity, all who would believe. And thank God we are blessed to live in the age of mercy and grace, for judgment is coming at some point. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. As believers, we need have no fear of future condemnation. The one who, he who believes in him is not condemned. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our future is secure in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us when we are born again. We've been speaking about this the last week or two. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And when you are born again, that is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you and so you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and by the way one of the controversial doctrines in some segments of the church is that Christians can be demon-possessed there's not one Bible verse in the New Testament that supports that by the way secondarily you think the Holy Spirit living inside of you is going to allow a demon to come in and share that space it ain't gonna happen but it's a very convenient way to blame the devil for your sins. Greg Laurie used to talk about the chocolate cake demon. The devil made me do it. Flip Wilson, remember? The devil made me do it, honey. No. If you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, if we're not walking as we should be walking... We can be influenced, we can be harassed, we can be harangued by demonic entities. But only if we're making wrong choices, wrong decisions, if we're not following Christ as we should be. But they still cannot inhabit you, okay? It's important to know that. That's put a lot of people in a lot of fear thinking that they might have a demon. I'll never forget, I can't remember who it was, but somebody one time was joking around and they talked about, you know, demon possession, deliverance, and uh, they said, woman, come out of that demon. I just spilled my water all over the place, all over my notes. It was a demon. Anyway, I'll make it. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, listen to this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So we have this duality in this life. Yes, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're set free, we've already been given the gift of eternal life. But we still live in mortal bodies, right? The completion, the fulfillment will happen when we are raised from the dead, we receive our eternal, immortal, glorified, imperishable bodies. And we talked about this last week from Romans, where Paul talks about all of creation is in turmoil, like a woman in labor, waiting for that full redemption when Christ returns. God sees us already as eternal beings, but again, we're going to have to lay down these earthly bodies in order to move on to the next level to be promoted. Then it goes on and says, He who does not believe is condemned already because God already knows who will receive him and his son and who will not. Just as our future is already determined, 
so is the future of all those who reject him. And again, that's, that's kind of that mystery. We talk about predestination, God choosing us before the foundations of the earth, the elect, if you will. And yet at the same time, man has free will. God already knows whether you're going to choose him or not. But the opportunity is still laid out there to every individual. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because God chooses those who choose him. Do you want to be chosen by God? Choose him. Choose him. It's one of those mysteries we'll never fully understand in this life, but I don't think it's all that complicated because God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He already knows. He knew before this world was even created. Every human being that would put their faith in him and those who would not. So he who does not believe is condemned already with the understanding that that person is never going to believe even though they have the opportunity and until they breathe their last breath that opportunity will be there and I've shared this with you before but a few years ago I just felt like I had kind of a revelation that there are going to be many many more people in heaven than we think because God is so loving so gracious so merciful that I think many people in the very final moments and even seconds before their death will make contact with him and be saved. Doesn't that sound like how God would work? Now from the human perspective, that bugs people. Oh, live a vile, filthy, sinful life and get saved at the last minute? How convenient. But God loves us so much. He's never going to stop trying to reach us until there's no more breath left in us. I found that to be very encouraging. And I think it's true. I think it's true. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We talked about it last week. All the things that the name of Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Emmanuel, all those names what they mean, what they represent, God with us, God is our salvation. And as we know, there is no other path to eternal life but Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, this is prior to doubting Thomas there on the, uh, the night of Jesus' uh, resurrection, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, Peter is giving a powerful evangelistic message, and he tells the people, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then people will say, only one way? That's not fair. You know what? That's absolutely correct. Because fair would mean that all would be condemned. That would be fair. I've told you many times, don't ever ask God for what you deserve. I want my just desserts. <laughs> don't ever ask for that. Fair would be that all would go to hell. But God loves us and he, he's, he doesn't want to be fair. He wants to be gracious. He wants to be merciful. He wants to be forgiving. And you know, even now as I'm standing up here speaking, I'm thinking, you know, if there were many ways, that could be confusing, kind of watered down, kind of less meaningful, you know, kind of like, um, let's make a deal, Monty Hall, <laughs> curtain number one, curtain number two, curtain number three. Really, God has made it simple for us. One way. How many ways do you need? One. 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 Thank God for the one way. Right? It's on the wall. It's on the wall. Roman, why, is it, why would it be fair that God would just condemn all? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thank God he loves us so much he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. Verse 19, this is the condemnation 
that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The light has come into the world. Jesus, who is the light, spiritually speaking, came into this world to shatter the darkness. There was a book many years ago about that, Shatter the Darkness. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And yet, the majority of people in this world today are walking in darkness. Explains a lot, doesn't it? When you think about that. This is the condemnation because people have refused the light. Luke 1, 78 and 79, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, that's Jesus, from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, they go hand in hand, to guide our feet in the way of peace. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Why would anyone prefer darkness to light? Jesus tells us, because their deeds were evil. And we all know, I think, that evil deeds are best perpetrated under a cover of darkness, are they not? Robbery, carjacking, all kinds of heinous crimes often committed under cover of darkness. And yet as we see the darkness encroaching more and more upon this planet, a lot of those things are happening right out in broad daylight. Because even though it looks like there's light out, all of these people are in darkness. Ephesians 5, 11 through 13 have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, kind of what I was doing earlier with my news clips. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. With the modern means of communication, technology, internet, TV, cable TV, satellite, on and on it goes, many of those secrets are now being brought forth. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Folks, this is another way I tell you all the time. It's easy to tell who's on God's side and who's not. God is pro-life. Sorry, he just is. He created life. He loves life. He loves life so much he sent his son Jesus to die for us. God's pro-life, the devil is pro-death. Here's another way to tell who is of God and who is not. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Those who remain in the darkness are not on God's side. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Notice what it says here, everyone practicing evil. Some people get nervous when you talk about, oh, there's a new doctor in town, he's just set up his practice. Or a dentist. They're just practicing? A little scary. <laughs> it's a term. But think about it. Everyone practicing evil. Whatever we want to be good at requires what? Practice. Hello. The, the more one practices evil, the more evil one becomes. As believers, we're expected to practice righteousness. We often fall short. Let's be honest. Just like a musician who plays wrong notes, or a quarterback who throws interceptions. The way to get better is to keep practicing, not give up, right? You won't get better by giving up. And those practicing evil sure don't seem to be giving up, do they? John 3, 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Again, we're saved by grace through faith. God gives us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. 
But in order to become more Christ-like, it involves what you might call practice. What does that look like? Reading your Bible, studying your Bible, meditating upon the Scriptures, prayer, fellowship with other believers, doing what we're doing here this morning. This is all part of practicing righteousness. Discipleship. The word discipleship is connected to the word what? Discipline, right? Does practice involve discipline? Absolutely. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul says, this is Paul, one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, in my opinion. I'm sure you probably agree. He didn't start out that way, but what a powerful, dynamic transformation, yes? Listen to what he says. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained. That's a dangerous thing that people sometimes fall into as believers, thinking they've already attained. You know, I've arrived, I'm spiritual, I'm holy, I'm good to go. Very dangerous attitude to take. Paul says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. He knew he wasn't. But what does he do? He says, I press on that I may hold on. Take, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I love that. Not only has Paul laid hold of Christ, Christ has laid hold of him. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. And yet I would propose Paul probably apprehended more than you, I, well, you and I ever will in this life. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and that's where that condemnation from the enemy can come in, where he's trying to keep taking you back to the past, your past failures, your past shortcomings, your past sins. Paul said, One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward for those things which are ahead. And he's talking about eternal things, eternal glory, spending eternity in paradise with God and also achieving the goals that God has set before him in this life was basically preaching the gospel, winning people for Christ. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. We have a higher calling as believers, folks. You know that, right? Again, we're not perfect. We never will be in this life. But just like Paul, we should be pressing toward the goal for the prize, the reward at the end of the line, at the end of the race, for that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The devil's goal is to take everybody down. God's goal is to lift us up, to bring us up. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Those who hate God and his son will not come to him because they're not willing to repent, to turn from their evil ways and follow him. They hate the light. We've seen plenty of that. Lest his deeds should be exposed. The thing that people fear most, and unfortunately sometimes even believers, though we shouldn't, the, the thing that people fear most, exposure of who and what they are really, what they really are. Adulterer, fornicator, slanderer, greedy, malicious, hateful, murderous. Folks, exposure is actually the very thing that will save us. God already knows. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But he wants us to know so that we might turn from evil and turn to him. Galatians 5.19. Having talked about the fruit of the Spirit in this passage, Paul then goes on to talk about the works of the flesh. Actually, I think the works of the flesh comes first and then the spirit. But here are the works of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Wow, what a long list. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And people fear being exposed for all of these things, but the exposure, bringing the light in, is what gives, brings the opportunity for forgiveness, for healing, for a new life in Christ.
Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his de deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. He who does the truth. In the New American Standard Bible, it says he who practices, there's that word again, practices the truth. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. is like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The NIV says whoever... He who uh, lives by the truth. It is possible to know the truth and not live by it. You realize that, right? People do that. Yeah, I know it's true, but I don't want to go that way. I want to do my own thing. He who does the truth or practices the truth or lives by the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Those who do the truth, practice the truth, live by the truth, will not fear exposure. In Christ, we should have nothing to hide. But if we do, again, sometimes we miss the mark, right? If we do have something to hide, we should want it to be exposed. We've talked about this analogy before of, you know, have symptoms of some kind of an illness and we choose to ignore them. And it's a sad story, but sometimes people wait too long. By the time they go to the doctor to go to checked out, it's too late. It's terminal. There were signs, evidence that something wasn't right, but people choose to ignore it. It's the same way with our spiritual life, our sins. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Our goal in Christ should be to have deeds that we want to be seen, we want to bring glory to God in this life, in this world. We want the pe people to see Jesus in us. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or caught in a sin or wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a man in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Again, that can't happen unless uh, the trespass, the sin, the wrongdoing is exposed and then our calling as believers is not to judge them or condemn them, but to help them overcome it. Restore them gently. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. As truth seekers... As followers of Christ, our deeds should reflect the glory and the holiness of God. 1 Peter 2.20. Peter says, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, he's specifically speaking here to Christians who are uh, slaves. In that Roman and Greek culture, that was a pretty common thing. He says, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And so even though he's speaking specifically to slaves, it applies to us too. If we uh, find ourselves in some kind of trouble, either at work, wherever it might be, there's no credit for getting in trouble for wrongdoing, but there is credit for getting in trouble for doing the right thing. And in this world, that's going to happen. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. They hate me, they're going to hate you. But as truth seekers, followers of Christ, our deeds should reflect the glory and the holiness of God. And this concludes Jesus' testimony to Nicodemus. No doubt he gave Nick much food for thought. It would seem as far as we can tell, that Nicodemus did become a true believer. Certainly Jesus gave him an incredible explanation of the gospel. You must be born again. God so loved the world. Those whose deeds are evil hate the light. They hide in darkness. He really gave Nicodemus the whole package. John seven fifty. 
we find Nicodemus defending Jesus before the rest of the elders of Israel. It says, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? We know it was a very difficult thing to be a part of that group and then identify yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. But the indications are that he did defend Jesus before them. John 19, 38 through 40, after Christ died on the cross, the Sabbath was about to begin. The body had to be taken down and dealt with very quickly. And so in verse eight, uh, 38 of John 19, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, and we believe Joseph was the rich man, he quite possibly was also a member of the Sanhedrin, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, perhaps like Nicodemus, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. This is the closest we can come to identifying Nicodemus as a true believer. It would appear that he did become a true believer. <clears throat> Legend has it that Nicodemus testified in favor of Christ at the trial before Pilate was expelled from his position by the ruling Jews and was eventually baptized by Peter and John. But these things are not recorded in the Bible text, but... Uh, they're, they're extra biblical stories that have been told. And while these things are not recorded in the biblical text, I have a strong feeling we will one day meet Nicodemus in God's eternal kingdom. If not, it won't be because he wasn't told everything he needed to know in order to be born again. In my estimation, this passage we've been studying in the past couple weeks is probably the most one of the most important ones in all of Scripture. So I would encourage you to continue to Read it, meditate upon it, take it to heart. And again, many today who have heard the truth and seen the evidence yet still refuse to bow their knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a sad thing. Like Nicodemus, they have been exposed to the truth. But as Jesus said, they hate the light because their deeds are evil. So... That gives us some insight on how to pray for those who are lost. God, please bring them out of the darkness into the light. Bring them to that place. We talk about it all the time. Pray for the gift of faith, the gift of repentance. Pray that they will come to that place where they are. Have you ever heard this expression? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know, that can apply to the spiritual life as well. Pray that they become sick and tired of being spiritually sick and tired. People do get to that point. That may be some of you here today. That may be why you received Christ. You got to the point where you said, I can't do this anymore. This, this is not working. And God brings us to the end of ourselves so we can have a new beginning in Christ. So pray those things for those that you're concerned about, for your friends, your loved ones, your family members, whoever it might be. Pray that God will bring them into the light. Let's stand. I did have something else to mention before we go to prayer. Uh, I'm going to be going up to Omaha um, in September for that annual conference that I always go to. I will not be missing any Sundays. And, uh, but um, every year I've kind of wanted to extend that invitation to others who may want to go, either by car or by uh, plane or however. But there's some really great speakers up there at this conference. It's called Our First Love this year. That's the title. Our First Love, A Call to Return. Uh, Maranatha Fellowship in um, Bellevue, which is a suburb on the south end of Omaha. I've got these around the church on the bulletin boards. We have these posters up about it. If you want to read more about it, find out more about it. There's no charge. 
They provide meals and everything. It's a great deal. So please keep that in mind. Consider that. As we go to the Lord in prayer, let's bow our heads. And I'd like to ask for a show of hands for those that might have a prayer request. Quite a few, as always. And the Lord loves to hear from us. He's never too busy. This is what he's all about. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to come, to ask, to seek, to knock, to seek his face. Father, even now I had a thought. I believe from the Holy Spirit, we usually pray for the same things each time, and that's okay because those needs are ongoing. But I also have this sense that uh, one or more people today specifically would be desiring wisdom from God. Lord, you promised in the book of James, chapter 1, that you would give wisdom to us if we would ask uh, without any kind of hesitation or reluctance or criticism, Lord, you would grant to us wisdom. So we pray for that now. I don't know who this applies to here today, but I believe there are one or more people that that's at the forefront right now of their thoughts, of their heart and their mind, needing God's wisdom in some situation. I know not what it is. So we pray for that, Father, for those seeking wisdom, that you would impart that wisdom to them and help them to be able to clearly hear you. They would have confirmation from your scriptures from your holy word please give your wisdom your guidance and your direction and lord we pray for physical health um, again we've talked about it we live in a world cursed by sin we live in bodies cursed by sin though our spirits have been saved forgiven set free we have the gift of eternal life the bodies haven't quite caught up yet so we pray for healing for whatever it might be, allergies, Lord, um, a virus of some kind, cancer, lung disease, Lord, nothing is impossible with you, nothing is too difficult for you. And so, God, we do pray for healing, for encouragement, for strength, for those who are suffering. Lord, it could be a knee, it could be all kinds of things. Lord, you know. And we just pray that you'd pour out your healing upon those needing that today. And Lord, more than anything else, the healing of hearts and minds, that if there's anyone here today, Father, who has not yet confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would do that this very day, that they would invite Jesus into their heart, into their life, to be their Lord and Savior. They would confess their sins before you, Lord, repent, make that conscious decision to turn away from sin and follow you, Lord. Father, we pray for those with mental and emotional issues. This can be extremely troubling as well. We pray for healing from anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, bipolar. Lord, whatever it might be, we know that whatever the, the issue is, you are the answer. You don't just have the answers, you are the answer because you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the light. Pray that you'd shine your light into the darkened corners of people's hearts and minds here today that are struggling. Bring them out of the darkness into the light, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, we lift up relationships that have been damaged or broken, friendships, marriages, co-workers, whatever area of life it's in, whether it's relationships that have been broken, damaged, we pray for healing, for restoration, for repair, and help us to be instruments of your healing, of your uh, um, reconciliation. Lord, that we would be humble enough to be the first ones to reach out. Lord, to ask forgiveness. Even if we don't feel like we've done anything wrong, Lord, we can be instruments of your peace. Pray for those relationships to be healed. Lord, those ones that seem hopeless, like it could never happen, we could never be brought back together, but we know that you can do it. And Lord, that may include some of that wisdom we talked about earlier. So we pray for those relationships to be repaired whenever possible and help us to do our part as much as possible. Finally, we pray for economic issues, Lord, for those who may be struggling financially. All of our prices are going through the roof. Lord, our economy is struggling, which makes us extremely thankful that you are provider. You take care of us. You promise to meet our needs, to take care of us. Help us to keep our eyes on you to trust you, 
Father, that you would impart faith to us, strength, hope, and wisdom to be good managers of the resources that you have given us. And we will give you all the glory and the praise for that. And help us whenever possible to help each other, Lord. That's part of what we're called to do as the body of Christ. So we thank you, God. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the ability to be born again by the Spirit of God and to walk out of the darkness into the light. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.